The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So in the last, uh, seems like in the last five, six, seven years, um, the, t- the topic of compassion has entered into our society or as a valuable area of psychological research. And then we have this wonderful Center for Compassion, uh, Seek Care, uh, Compassion, Cultivation, something, research or whatever at, at Stanford. And they're doing great work there and training people to teach compassion and, and they're getting, uh, there's all these academic clinical articles about compassion and people are putting, um, you know, are doing brain scans to see what goes on in the brain when people are compassionate in different ways. And, and uh, so as, this, as they get more and more sophisticated understanding of compassion, um, I feel shyer and shyer to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, you know, maybe I don't know what it is anymore. You know, it's... Um, and, um, but I'm very happy for all that work. So I think we'll all learn from that. I wish I had studied, was studying more of it. So the... Um, so if there's a... Um, Maybe you've been around a child, maybe, I don't know how old, a six, five, six-year-old child, who um, something happens to the child that's pretty minor, but that upsets the child. Like, for example, a child's playing on the playground and the child, the child uh, trips and... Uh, ever so slightly scrapes her knee but it's not much you know and she gets all upset and is crying and um, and uh, you know if you see that and you know you've seen you've been on the playground monitor for years and you see that this stuff happens and uh, so you you feel for the kid you know you have compassion care for the kid um, but you're not you're not horrified you're not like this is the end of the world this is a major crisis. Better call nine one one. Get get the principal out here. You know, just you know, uh, it's just you know that all that's, all that's needed is that in this situation is you need to just go over, just be with the child. The child needs just to be the comfort of someone who's there and tell them it's okay. But you know, and you feel care for the child, but you're not upset. You're not concerned. You're not. It's not painful for you to witness this. This is part of growing up. This is part of almost every child's life. It's sooner or later they have a scrape like this. And, and, um, and so there's, there's care and compassion for the child, love for the child, tenderness. But it's not challenging for you. It's not like you feel pain and suffering and despair. Oh, no. Why was I born into a world where children scrape their knees? <laughs> you know, this is, you know, you know this, what an injustice. And you're, um, or a neighbor, I don't know. If, I don't know if I don't know if this is a good example, but some a neighbor who um, maybe they're trying to set the world record for how many empty beer cans they can stack up in a tower, you know. And so they'd be really into it, you know. And there's then they're really, you know, this is what they spend their time, free time doing, and 
And so they're trying to make the record, but, but they get to, I don't know, 30 cans high at some point, and then it topples over. And oh, I put a lot of work into getting those 30, but I was trying to get 35. And you, can, you feel, you know, that this person is, you feel some care or compassion. You're, you know, this is unfortunate that the person, it didn't work. And you can, you know, you feel something. It's not like you're just, whist- you're just like happily whistling and smiling and laughing, ha, 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 you know. But you feel, that's unfortunate. They had this hobby they're doing and it didn't work out, but, but they've been working on this for a while. You remember when they only got up to four. And, you know, it takes a while to learn and they're getting higher and higher. And, and, um, and so, you know, you feel for them, you're sympathetic and it's genuine sympathy, but you know this is part of the deal. That uh, This kind of learning how to stack <laughs> cans is a, is a learning task and you're getting the skill and required to learn and things to fall to develop the task, to learn. So you have a certain compassion. Um, so I don't know if that was a good example, but uh, <laughs> I probably should have done soda cans, but something. <laughs> but uh, uh, so there are circumstances, I hope, in your life that uh, where you have compassion for someone, you have something like compassion, care, concern, you wish it was otherwise, you wish it was easier for them, you, you have em- empathy with the challenge they have, but you know, there's a, it, you, you, you kind of, you stay content, you stay like, well, this is how it is, and it's not like a disaster or even a problem, it's not like something to be cringe or get contracted about, it's just, oh, this is how it is. Can some of you think of an example like this in your life that, that you could offer the group? Well, it's interesting because what's coming to mind, uh, the suffering of the person about it is significant but what's happening is that somebody i know is very challenged by the fact that life keeps changing you know uh sometimes they have to move uh people come and go friends come and go parents die and you know jobs change but the fact that it's changing just is so difficult for this person so from the standpoint of practice there's sort of this piece that comes with, yeah, things change. And yet there, there needs to be enough compassion for how much someone else might suffer over something simple like that. Uh-huh. So here, here to your right, Liz. To your left. Well, for fear of getting too personal... Um, Perimenopausal symptoms. <laughs> you know, there, there is a, a time when you just, I just have to accept what's happening within my body, and I do not have control over all of it. And compassion comes into, comes into play then, to just have a lot of patience mm-hmm. with myself and what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are there examples of yeah over here? And Martha, you might, I might try the second one. See if now if it makes it a little easier. We had a little bit of trouble with feedback, but, but go ahead. Maybe you get the other one, second one ready, so, so we don't have to walk quite as much. Um, I have a friend who 
um, has been going through some depression, and she's very distraught that um, she's going to to begin taking antidepressants. And so, um, uh, this is her. This is her. Uh, this is what is bothering her, that she that she will be starting on. Um, How, what's your response to that? Well, so I I've been uh, coaching her that um, a lot of people are using antidepressants and that it's. Uh, it's it's a it's a good thing to do when you've tried everything else. So you understand that. So for you, then you feel care, or compassion for her, but you, you're not you're Ex- not grabbed into it and exactly caught caught by it. Exactly. So you can stay at ease, kind of. Way. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of the scraped knee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe one or two more examples of something that could be a very very simple thing that something where I know I know. Uh, there's this little girl. Is this on? Yeah. There's this little girl I was supposed to help uh, paint uh, flower necklaces on her neck and around her wrist. And uh, I was uptight enough on my own to think, you know, how am I going to do this, right? I want to make her look pretty. I don't want her to look terrible. So my anxiety was coming up. And she had this anxiety that there was this book and she couldn't decide if it was this one or this one or this one. And then she would decide on one, and then she'd say, kind of decide, and she'd say, but is it okay if I don't make the decision just yet? I, I, I don't know yet if I want to. And I, I, I sensed myself stopping to have anxiety for myself over how I would do this and just saying, sure. You know, you can take an hour to decide, you know, if it takes you this long. It was really cool to just clue into... Uh, she 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 just needed a lot of time to decide. So you had you had some compassion for her her oh, situation, yeah, yeah. but you weren't distressed by it yourself. It just yeah, you could, you could yeah. smile and just. It was kind of nice to just acknowledge that this was her anxiety, and I could I could just let her be with that and be okay. So I didn't have to solve it. Yeah. Right, so, and not only that, but it was kind of nice. You said so. There was you had compassion. Someone was in certain kind of dis- yeah. distress. But your response was kind of nice. It was kind of in that good, something in that, in that kind of setting. It was kind of nice to the situation. So maybe one more example where it's kind of nice, you know. Maybe Julie in the back. <laughs> okay, I have friends who are. I have friends who are, um, you know, at the age where they're getting colonoscopies, right? <laughs> so they call up for a ride. And, of course, you know, their anxiety over going through the preparation, which is really the first part of it. And having been through it, I can have a lot of compassion for it, but know that it's a lot worse um, thinking about it than, you know, the actual being in it. So, you know, I have a little bit of, I guess, um, distance from it so that I'm not caught by their uh, anxiety or discomfort, but I also understand where they're coming from and mm-hmm. can can kind of um, be supportive. Uh-huh. So thank you for all these examples. So these are examples of, uh, uh, hopefully, of compassion, 
that uh, is lacking distress. Compassion where, where maybe even uh, there's a feeling of it's nice, maybe, or um, like from the example I gave you of helping the woman in this nature walk, where I actually felt kind of surprisingly good inside by doing a simple act of just offering my hand at various times. And um, so uh, what is this kind of compassion? What, you know, is this a surprise that we have this capacity or why? What, 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 what comes together? What happens that allows us to have compassion in this way? Yes, please. Is, there, is Mike, is, some, is there Mike? Yes, thank you. Well, I heard the word experience, and I the word that I is it green? Is light on? Okay. The word that had come up for me was wisdom, but I suppose the wisdom that comes with experience. Uh So wisdom supports it a lot. So that's great. I appreciate that. Uh, Can you uh, can you add some pieces words of wisdom that are useful (laughs) in 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 this regard? And I'm not sure what you mean. So wisdom supports kind of uh, easeful compassion. Yes. But, uh, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of things we're wise about. So give me, can oh. you give some example of a, uh, some wise understanding that would support compassion to be more useful? Hmm. Could be any, hmm. you know. Well, I, I'm not sure I have an, a specific example, but... I mean, to me, it's it's like a recognition. It's of, it's that you see um, a reflection of of something, and you know. It's like knowing, just knowing that what what someone is going through, um, and that in itself. I, I I I'm afraid my my capacity for wisdom is. <laughs> yeah, it's on the spot. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, no, no, it's great. No, it's great. It was, it was, I really appreciate it a lot. But okay. I just wanted to. So, so someone else. Um, I got to do the CCT training here a year ago, and um, one of the things that they talk about a lot that I keep coming back to is this idea of shared common humanity and just understanding um, that we all go through these things and tapping into that um, helps to bring out the compassion. What I was going to say is um, similar to what this woman just said, when I can identify uh, with what someone else is going through because I have had a similar experience. That um, that's also a problem because um, if I can identify, that makes it harder then sometimes to come up with compassion. But if I can, then it's pretty easy. Like I say to the woman over there, I've been there, done that. <laughs> it goes away. <laughs> Great, thank you. Uh, I feel inspired, um, you know, currently by the people I work with. People have, some people I work with have an extraordinarily generous spirit, or their responses to things are very, it's like their heart is very open. Uh, I had to hand in a report late on something I was doing at work, and I want, took it to the office to make sure it was complete and everything, so I talked to the guy in charge of it, and I said, I'm sorry, I 
it's been some difficult things this fall. You know, I don't usually do this late. And he looked at me and said, oh, I think the difficulty will pass. <laughs> and I felt like thinking, you know, did, did I walk in the room by mistake? Is this the Dalai Lama? Did they hire the <laughs> Dalai Lama this year and I didn't hear about it? No, really. I mean, the guy was so completely, you know, just calm and like just there with me. And we went through the whole thing and said it was fine. And, you know, I was really startled. I was like, huh. <laughs> nice. Straight back in the back. I just feel that often rather than a matter of reflection and wisdom and so on, that it's a matter of a um, visceral, immediate perception uh, or uh, that, that you can feel. Mm. It, probably not every case. Yeah. But, uh, Great. Yes, exactly. This is a good... Thank you. And this is maybe a jumping off thing to the next thing I'd like to ask you is um, if you've had some experience of having compassion for someone and the response in you in that kind of compassion situation is it kind of makes you feel warmer, a sense of well-being, a sense of kind of intimacy, contentment, something, feel some good, it's kind of nice. Um, uh, if you've ever anything, any experience like that, I'd like to hear a little bit, a few reports of what, how you felt it. So not the story, not the, you know, the event. Uh, but really, almost viscerally, physically, uh, internally, intimately, what did it feel like to, for the compassion to feel good? I have an example from yeah. uh, caring for my younger grandson. Um, my son and daughter-in-law were kind. They let me come and spend some time with him when he was four months old. And I just felt, like in my chest, as if I feel like my heart is, is open a lot. But it was like, really, it can open that much more mm-hmm. and just be flooded with this warm feeling mm-hmm. that is just delightful. So open, warm, flooded feeling. Thank you. So someone else. Uh, sometimes, this doesn't sound like it's on, is it? It is. Yeah? Okay. Um, it is... Um, a leaping of the soul, uh, and it's just something leaps inside me, and 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 I'm I'm there in the most immediate sense for where the situation calls for. Mm. Great, beautiful leaping of the soul. Yes. All right. Um, Somebody very close to us died this week, and I was there to um, uh, help the family, and I felt um, calm, clear-headed, pretty equanimous, not particularly emotional, you know, sad a bit, but, um, and useful, (laughs) strong. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. That's nice. And Julie in the back. One thing I notice when I'm in a state of, even in a very difficult state, if someone's dying, you know, something very difficult, when I have that state of compassion, it's like the boundaries are dissolved. Mm. Boundaries have dissolved. Nice. 
Can you say a teeny bit more about what, what you mean by boundaries as often? What it feels like or how it, what that means for you? Yeah, it's like in day-to-day life, it's as if there are um, barriers of protection between me and others so that I'm you know, making judgments to not go certain places that might hurt me. Or, yeah. But when I'm in that state of openness, all those barriers you know, are just not there. It's just us all as... Great. You know. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I volunteer at a place uh, that the volunteering is a week-long residential place, and there's some uh, 20 of us there, all volunteers, helping a half dozen people who are in great distress. And at the end of this week, there's a, a kind of a debriefing for the staff. The thing is over. Everybody's about to leave. And person after person says, I get more here than I give, and I have been working my ass off constantly. For five days, I'm exhausted, mm. and I'm so happy. Mm. Twenty people will say the, say the same thing, and they mean it. It's mm. quite impressive. So there's an active compassion where the happiness of being engaged and supporting and being present for that. Nice. What I notice is a real sense of presence. And before and after and everything else, the press of everyday life just kind of falls away uh-huh. and you're just there. Nice. Very nice. As an act of compassion for those of us who don't hear very well, if you could hold the mic right up to your mouth, I'm having a hard time hearing it. Maybe other people are too. First, I have to say that we don't have to um, go through the same experience to have compassion. Um, I took care of mom dying, my sister dying, you know. I don't go through that, but I was there for them. Um, But what I experience, um, uh, that's the presence I have with them, whatever it needs, Mm -hmm. and to help them go through it, Um, physically, spiritually, you know, whatever it needs. But the last experience I had, which it's just a joy... um, a child walking in the street with a governess, and he was crying. He was about three years old, and um, and I stopped automatically. You know, I was like, I stopped. Said, "Are you crying?" And just recognizing, bringing the attention, and uh, and I asked, and she told me the governess because he doesn't like those shoes. So I looked at them and I started talking to him about the shoes. The color, can he jump in it? Can he? And there was this big smile. The kids stopped. I started smiling, and, and, and I was hopping with joy, <laughs> seeing him happy, and I was happy. Nice. And, and I, 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 I feel this a lot in, in department store when the kid is crying, and I could feel for them, you know, with all these lights around and all the smell and all that. And, and I just I can't stop approaching them. Mm. And just that just to see that smile on their face. Nice. So joy can come in the wake of this. 
Beautiful. Okay, so maybe one or two more. There's. I had an experience recently. It was during Yom Kippur in the Yisker service, the memorial service. A friend of mine, someone I know but not very well, was saying Yisker for the very first time for her mom. And I had learned earlier she had had a terrible fight with her husband. And she was standing all alone. And I walked over to her, and I put my arm around her, and I did not let go. And I was thinking as people were talking, how did that make me feel? Because I knew I was being compassionate. Mm -hmm. I was drawn to help her. I felt like a vessel for her grief. Mm. And that I didn't have to feel what she was feeling, but stand with her. Nice. And allow her. Mm -hmm. And while you did that, uh, in your body... Did something feel right or good or nice? I felt like an oak tree. And also meaning solid, stable? Yes, I felt solid and stable mm. and strong, and you can lean on me. And that it's felt, okay. That, that felt good for you. You liked being that way. It was nice for you to feel yourself that way. It felt amazing. Uh-huh. And we never talked about it. Nice. Yeah. Great. Okay, thank you. So... so Compassion. So in the teachings of the Buddha, uh, the word karuna, uh, there's, there's two primary words for compassion. There's anukampa and there's karuna. <clears throat> anukampa is, uh, the way it's used in the text, it's more the active side of compassion. You actually do something, you support someone. Karuna, the word karuna, is just about only used as a state of compassion that you experience in meditation. And so it's not active. And we don't have to limit it to meditation, but it's not active. It's, uh, and these four divine abodes, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, are, are, are referred to also as meditation practices that you can do. And you can develop your state of your mind into kind of an altered state, or maybe altered is not the right word, but in a meditative state where the mind or your heart is completely characterized by one of these qualities. Your whole state of being is characterized by kind of like a mood of loving kindness or a mood or atmosphere of of compassion and so forth. And so karuna is this uh, very general, open, satisfying, boundless, uh, sense of well-being, of compassion, that uh, the primary reference point in the Buddhist text happens to be something you experience in meditation. And so, the, uh, so, uh, um, so, it, uh, it is. It is. There is a feeling of well-being, tremendous well-being, with this kind of compassion. And so, the question, the challenge is: How do we? How do we have very strong, powerful compassion, this karuna, for all the suffering of the world while we maintain it in this field of well-being or this feeling of goodness or feeling of that it's right? So yesterday I was told that there was, um, there's this, uh, they're doing research, you know, brain scans on this uh, Matthew Ricard, who's a Buddhist, a Frenchman, who's a Buddhist Tibetan Buddhist monk for many, many years and 
he has a reputation of being very happy and a deep meditator. Spent years meditating on compassion, and so they've been studying his brain and how it works. And um, and what they discovered in him and other people is that when they people are practicing compassion as a meditation practice, two different sides of the brain uh, light up, two different areas, and. Um, one area is, the word I learned yesterday was the affiliative parts of the mind, meaning the parts that feel in affiliation to others, like the mirror neurons, where we, 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 someone else, you know, if someone else, you know, pokes themselves with a knife, it's like, ooh, you know, it's like, ooh, you know, you can feel it almost yourself in a certain kind of way. You kind of, there's a, it kind of resonates in us, almost as like it happens to us sometimes. And the other side is where the compassion lights up. So both, both are there. One's more empathy, the resonance, and the other. So he had his, he, both of these li- lit, lights up for this Matthew Ricard when he's doing compassion meditation. But then the researcher asked him to, uh, next time you uh, sit and do this practice with the, with the you know, brain scan, um, uh, don't do any compassion meditation. Don't evoke any compassion for the situation. Just think about uh, suffering of the world. <laughs> Think about some really good, juicy suffering, you know, terrible thing. You know. And, um, and so what happened was that when he did that, uh, only the, uh, this, uh, uh, the mirror neuron, the affiliative centers of the brain, lit up. And not the compassion side. And when he did that, uh, what, I, what I was told the story, was he became more and more kind of, you know, hunched over and kind of like discouraged and sad and upset and like, you know, and he asked the researcher, can we stop this? <laughs> this is really hard. You know, this is painful. And so they said, okay, you can stop it. And so then he did his compassion and then he came back into balance and he could hold it both. So there are times with, when we have a compassionate response to the world that, well, part of that response is our capacity for empathy, to feel the suffering of others, to kind of feel some identification or some involvement. And part of compassion is the pain of that. Sometimes if people really suffer. It's, you, know, it's not, you don't feel comfortable when someone, some terrible thing has happened to people. Um, but uh, it, there's another side, another half, and that is that compassion, the compassion response is a different part of the brain. It's a different activity. And that brings it all into balance. It's kind of like the compassionate, perhaps, uh, is able to make space to hold our own suffering that we have and make it somehow held in an accepting way, in a spacious way, in a non-reactive way, in an allowing way. But if we don't have that compassionate part with it, then we, uh, then the distress, the pain, stays predominant and that's difficult. So some people confuse compassion with the distress or they identify with the distress uh, that the, or the pain or the, that, that those mirror neurons that get triggered. They, they, they kind of, somehow they get kind of oriented to those or get caught by those or get pulled down by those or, or they get reactive to those. And uh, this can happen particularly if people identify with suffering sometimes, they identify with discomfort. Some people have very strong attitudes about discomfort, that discomfort is bad, it's wrong, it shouldn't be this way. And so these kind of attitudes get us, keep us caught in the pain. And if we're caught in the pain, it's going to drag us down. It's going to be difficult. 
the compassion meditation is to allow us to feel what's going on in the world, but then to not be dragged down by it, but let, let it just be. Learn how to be comfortable with discomfort, but then to have this other part of the brain light up, the compassion side, so it can hold it all in a, in a field of, of generosity, field of goodwill, field of, of compassion, in such a way that we don't, uh, that there's a feeling of well-being that's a part of that compassion. And that sense of well-being can become very, very strong. And as a meditation practice, it becomes so strong that, as Julie said, the sense of boundaries fall away. And the, and the expression is boundless. Literally, the expression is to have boundless compassion. Um, there's no sense of me, self, and others. No sense of trying to protect myself against that or recoiling or identifying strongly. It's just the heart, the mind is just completely open without any limitation, boundless uh, with this field of compassion. Um, what do you think of that? Wow. Yes, is the mic back in the back? Where is the mic? I would really appreciate a more uh, elaborate on that compassion side. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll because hope. I had been confused as if it was one place that had a lot to do with the empathy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but you've described something. You, you now have two pieces to the puzzle, yeah. right? Yeah, right. And, yeah. and the second one is uh, is glorious almost. Um, maybe, maybe, yeah. So the Dalai Lama keeps saying as much as he can that if you want to be happy, be compassionate. So now, now you begin to understand why he says this and how this might, might work. If we can tease apart these two different activities that go on, and uh, and that's why in the morning, the earlier part, I was trying to talk, to, ask for examples from you of situations where you were compassionate, but there was no distress. You know, you care for the kid who scraped her knee, but you know, but there's no, you you know, you could feel for it, and maybe the moment she scraped your knee, you kind of cringed because you you remember or you feel it. But there's a whole other context for holding it compassionately where you don't, you're not distressed, you know. And you, in fact, you might even, maybe not, you don't smile at the kid knowingly, but maybe there's another schoolyard monitor, and the, you know, who comes over and, and the kid's crying a little bit. And you look at the mother monitor and you, you both smile at each other. You know, you know, it's, this, is, this is what happens and you're there to offer care. So that, that was an attempt to try to show there's another side and try to get you a sense, try to elaborate. What's that side feel like? What's it like that when it's like that? So we can begin teasing these two apart. And I think that as we learn to tease this apart, then uh, over time, we can slowly learn how to have, uh, how not to get caught by the stronger sufferings that we experience in the world. How not to be caught by when there's big things that happen and we can st- take refuge or take su- support in the compassionate side, which is probably the more useful place to respond from. And now, w- w- one of the things that makes it very difficult to do this is that uh, um, some people have, a, have internalized a very strong idea that uh, in order to uh, care for someone, in order to show that you care, you have to worry. You know, you have to show, oh, you know, I'm so, you, know you have to be as, as upset as them. Otherwise, you know, they don't really know. And some people will even feel like maybe you're a little bit too aloof if you're not, if you're not properly 
distressed as they are. And so it's kind of the idea of being distressed in the, in the context of other people's suffering is somehow, you know, there's, uh, it's, uh, it seems like it's required to be part of it. So you, you, you want to say something more? Ask some more? Or that was enough for now? I'm thinking back to the example of the little girl who scraped her knee. Um, but if the, and yes, I could help her and without feeling that we sh- how awful it is to live in a world where kids scrape their knees. But if the example had been, the little girl had been bullied, I would find it much harder to comfort her with and then go away without taking on the feeling of, oh, it's so awful to live in a world where kids are bullied, and right. what can we do about it, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the, what can we do about it is fine, but the suffering part about the, um, how awful it is to live in, the, so many other kids are being bullied, it's not just this one girl, et cetera. Right, right, exactly. That's where the suffering starts. Yeah. <clears throat> so... But we'll see next month when we do by the the, 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 the the traditional systematic way of doing compassion practice is that uh, it's done. We always start where it's easiest and where we can easy, easiest to develop this uh, open, generous feeling of compassion without feeling any distress. And then we slowly begin to move into places where it's a little bit harder and harder to find out what does it take to do it there. Well, there the and it might require a lot of wisdom and understanding uh, in order to do that. It might require getting more comfortable with one's own distress, to be familiar with one's own back history. And, and uh, it could be that you, you're unresolved about the way you were bullied. And so you see the kids being bullied and it just brings you right back to your own distress. And so you have to maybe do your own work to kind of work through that. So, that, so slowly over time, but we're not expected to be able to um, you know, have compassion for the worst possible suffering in the world j- just because it's possible for a human to do that. Um, you know, that just adds more suffering to us. Mm-hmm. So your example was a good one, but it's something we work towards doing. Um, but if you understand that it's possible and you appreciate that's possible, then it's something you can work towards. As what some people do is they, they, don't, they don't see it as something that... Um, they, they, they make, it, make it kind of absolute... Uh, in that situation, it's okay for the girl who scraped her knee, but the girl who was bullied, the girl who was raped, uh, you know, it's not okay to not feel all contracted and tight and angry and upset. It's justified. I need to be. We have to have, have that kind of response. And so that requires a lot of internal um, uh, honesty and reflection and and, uh, and to really come to terms with what's going on inside of you with the idea, and also to understand that uh, the, the karuna side of responding, the side of compassion where there's no, we're not caught in the pain of the situation, um, to understand that uh, that's a place we can re- respond from as well. It doesn't mean that we just uh, are accepting the situation or condoning it, but it's a different place to respond from than to respond from distress or res- respond from anger. And uh, some people can only kind of learn to appreciate that kind of compassion if they start having confidence that it is a place to respond effectively from. 
And if they don't know that, then they, you know, of course they're going to try to respond from some other places. So the flip side of that, of that confidence, of course, becomes, is the hindrance of doubt. And I often find, I've been finding lately, after having been through your hindrance class several times, that if I identify something that's going on, just simply name it as whatever hindrance it is, that's a big help. It's huge, yes, yes. So, I mean, that's kind of the foundation of mindfulness practice, to be really honest with what's going on. And, uh, and you know, there's no, you know, from a Buddhist point of view, there's no requirement for you to be different than you are. So, you know, if, if mm-hmm. you're distressed or upset by something, you, you're not, you know, there's, Buddhism's not going to say you're a bad person or a wrong person. Or, it's just how you are. So, and then be honest about it to see it. And if you do have that honesty to name how it is for you, then you can find a way forward or find some, some other possibility. But if we're not honest about it, then it's very hard to find our way. You said something about, you know, you're on the schoolyard and you're not laughing at the kid, you're feeling it, and another monitor comes up and you both kind of smile knowingly at each other. You both know that this is not a major crisis and these things have happened before and this will pass and right now it's very dramatic for this child. I liked how you were differentiating between the normal response of being caring and and feeling for and at the same time having a kind of distanced approach with the other monitor of saying we know that this happens. Um, I work with a lady who uh, is very delusional and often thinks that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that makes me smile. That doesn't mean, and I've wondered sometimes in my reactions to her, because I do find things that she does very funny, but it doesn't stop me from appreciating that for her this is very real. It was just kind of neat because it was informing me of what's going on for me, is that I have these two things happening, you know. I'm empathic, but I still have uh, a smile about it, a distanced smile. And I know other staff members who deal with her. Yeah, that, in, that, in that kind of situation, you have to be a little bit careful that that it's a kind of a s- smile of wisdom, yeah, as opposed yeah. to a, a smile of kind of satire or or putting her down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yes, please. Uh, for me, the it's. Uh, the helplessness that gets me, and not so much the emotion. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like I ought to do something about this, you know. So sometimes you write a check, <laughs> or uh, you know, if I, you know, I, there's nothing I can do about the people in Banda Aceh, right, when the with the tsunami, but I can write a check. And I guess that helps me spill some of my anxiety. But it's it's more helplessness than. Than right. what you're describing as some kind of yeah. emotional pain. It's yeah. the, the pain of feeling helpless in the world. Yeah, yeah so sometimes when, uh, in relationship to the suffering of the world, um, this is where mindfulness becomes really useful. But, uh, maybe the compassion is not really the, what needs, needed at the moment uh, because the people who hit by a tsunami, they're not sitting in front of you. 
um, what you need to do is to really try to understand your distress and anxiety and work through it. And maybe the anxiety is not necessary. Um, and, uh, and if it's not necessary, it can be worked through and come to the other side. And so, so, so you, but it requires understanding it, practicing with it. A variety of things might be needed. Maybe what's needed is compassion for yourself so something can thaw. Maybe there's unresolved suffering in you that um, it's quite common for me to meet people who, for whom there's some kind of unresolved issue, a pain in their life that's kind of like an open sore and things happen in the world like salt that goes into that. And, and they, they think it has to do with the current event, but it's really this old, old wound. And so they really have to go back and take care of the old wound. Uh, and, then, and then there's no more salt. Uh, so, so this is important work to do that, and maybe sometimes, sometimes compassion is not really the name of the game. It's just more mindfulness and exploration of those difficulties until we're ready for the compassion. And that's what happened to me, you know, with my, as I told you in the morning, my early years of Buddhist practice. I told you, you know, slowly over the years I became compassioned, but it was it was because I was sitting with my suffering and my fear and my anxiety and my all kinds of things. And as that began to thaw and, uh, and melt away, then it was replaced by, back then it felt like more of an open heart and a compassion. But it didn't come by ignoring that, but, but sitting, sitting with it. I'm sorry, I'm coming to this not knowing what happened before, but um, there's one thing that happened to me when I was in middle school, and it really, it still haunts me. Um, I was on a bus, and there were a couple teenage boys who were taunting this older woman who had this beautiful antique dress on. And I felt horrible. I felt like I should do something, I should say something, and I didn't. And I realized later that all I needed to do was to go sit next to her and say, I love your dress. And so I didn't need to change the fact that there were going to be bullies in the world and the boys were going to be mean. Um, but I just needed to, for her to know that she wasn't by herself, she wasn't alone. So, I don't know. I'm just throwing that. <laughs> I don't know if it's pertinent or not. Yeah, so, so you know, what you missed was we were talking about that, um, that, uh, that the word karuna, that's uh, the uh, most common associated word in Buddhism for compassion, is not usually used as an active form of compassion. That's another word for that. It's anukampa. But karuna is, is more clearly the kind of a, a, a movement of the heart of compassion that occurs in the context of not feeling distressed what you see, what you're present for. So in that example, you were distressed. Uh, but it, it's possible not to have been distressed, to see it clearly, to feel the pain of it, but not be distressed, not be contracted, and just uh, have the heart so open. Not only does it include the woman's, but your heart also includes those boys care for them and then go sit next to the woman doesn't mean you don't do anything but in all that in all that movement not only don't you feel that distress yourself but actually there's a, there's a feeling of rightness feeling of maybe even a sense of well-being for you because you can just move into that in a nice way um, I'll give you an example a famous uh, it's been read, read this, this story has been read many times on Vipassana retreats so maybe you've heard this story if you've been on retreats there was a man, um, who, uh, a Westerner, who was studying Aikido in Japan. And, 
And Aikido is supposed to be a martial art where you don't, where you love the opponent. Where you're, not, you're not supposed to actually f- choose a fight. You're supposed to just know how to get out of a fight by kind of using, you know, twisting around and using their, their force to kind of get them subdued. And, and you don't want to hurt anyone. You just want to make, make peace with the situation. And it's a beautiful philosophy. So he'd been studying this in Japan, but in his mind, he kind of wanted to have a chance to try it out, you know. He was a little bit macho or something. And so, and so there was this very belligerent drunk man on the subway who was really behaving badly and yelling and threatening. And, um, and uh, he came at this, this Aikido guy, and was he was going to, or the Aikido guy said something, oh, this is my chance. You know, this is my chance to kind of make peace, you know. And <laughs> I, um, you know I'm not choosing this fight, but, <laughs> you know, now I get to find out, you know. So, so he was getting all ready, you know, for the fight, you know. And, um, and uh, to take care of the situation and save the day on the subway. And, uh, and so I guess, the, as I remember the story, the drunk guy was walking towards the Aikido guy and they were going to do their thing, right? And in between them, sitting on the, on the, uh, on the chair or in the seat was um, a very old man. And the old man said, hey, you, to the, old, to the drunk, hey, you, come sit here. <laughs> And come and tell me what's going on. And within minutes, the drunk was crying in his lap. <laughs> and the Aikido master <laughs> felt pretty much you know, ashamed of himself. Like, wow, you know, I really blew it there, you know. The, um, um, and so this, this, this uh, you know, old man, he, he'd probably seen a lot in his life. And, uh, you know, he was, maybe he wasn't distressed. Maybe he wasn't uh, upset and worried or afraid about this guy who was belligerent and angry and, you know, drunk on the train. Um, he, he just could hold it all in a big way, in a relaxed way, and say, come here, sit next to me. So this karuna is talking about pointing to, uh, I think, a radical thing, a challenging thing. It's not easy. I'm not saying, oh, just, you know, leave here, I don't see, and just walk with your heart open and be happy ever after. Um, but it's, it is offering a huge challenge about a capacity that we have, that we can grow into. And this is what karuna, the word karuna, uh, as I understand it, what it means in the teachings of the Buddha, is this capacity for a kind of well-being, uh, if that's the right word, in response, and with a compassionate response to suffering in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't feel some pain to see it, but what's the context that holds it all is this compassion that is easeful, boundless, relaxed. It comes with a sense of well-being as part of it. So that's a radical teaching for how most people live their lives. Does it make sense? Yes. It's sounding like... Um the compassion side that you're describing contains or overlaps a lot with equanimity. And and so I'm, I'm wanting to understand that. And then also that if the mindfulness is strong enough, it can differentiate between anything that's extra. So when you talk yeah. about, you know, parts of our history that might be being touched or thought patterns that are adding something to the suffering um, it feels like that's you know not sticking just with mindfulness mm-hmm. so 
any reflections on those two things? Those two things? Um, yeah, it would seem like that the, this karuna would probably have a, have a strong, something that looks like equanimity as part of it. Equanimity meaning non-reactivity in some negative way to the situation. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm not sure what to do with it, but, but yes. And then, um, but maybe that helps understand what it is if you think of it as being somehow a combination of compassion and equanimity. And, um, and yes, I think it's beautiful to say what you said, that to be able to have strong enough mindfulness to see that maybe we have our unresolved pain, but to see that's what that is, and this is different, the situation now is different, and be able to tease those apart so they're not, they're not get, they don't get uh, entangled with each other. Uh, makes it, you can stay much simpler in the situation you're at, you're in. Make sense? Yeah, I thought they're good. Okay. So, what I would, that was all kind of preparing the ground. That's what all, all we'll do, to, that's what all we ever do. <laughs> preparing the ground to be in the world. So, um, I wanted to do a meditation with you. So, you've been sitting for a while, so if you want to stand and stretch your legs, you're welcome, please do. And so you're more comfortable when you sit. And we'll probably do it for maybe 20, tw- 20 minutes or so. Closing your eyes and begin by feeling your body upright. Earlier someone evoked the feeling of being like an oak, strong. So maybe you can just sit, feel a contact of your body against your chair or your cushion, feeling the pull of gravity. The connects you maybe in a strong way and how the torso arises up out of that in a strong way. Feeling the substance of your body, three-dimensional quality. Within your body, as part of your body, taking a few long, slow, deep breaths. Perhaps as you exhale, exhale with a sense of ah. Here you are, settling in. It's good. Ah. 
and letting your breath return to normal. And feeling what's going on in your body as you breathe, the sensations of breathing, the movement of breathing in your body. there's any feelings of discomfort any in any way whatsoever in your body in your being be relaxed about it and just breathe with it breathe through it let it be it's okay that we evoked different qualities this morning's meditation, I'd like to evoke another quality now. You don't have to do anything particular to make this happen. Just hear the word and see if it opens, awakens something. So as you're sitting here, here and now, at this place and this time. The word is safety, being safe. And is there there some place within you, some place in your body you associate with a feeling of Safety, when you feel safe. Is there a physical place, sensation? Breathing in and breathing out. Being simple, tender, here, safe.
So one way of understanding compassion, karuna, is that it's closely associated with aspiration. And the word aspiration perhaps is more suggestive of an open, generous feeling of the heart or the mind. That's different than maybe the word desire, wanting. The word, a concept of aspiration. Maybe one more of hopefulness. Possibility. Without any demand or insistence. And the aspiration of compassion is that suffering comes to an end. Suffering abates, suffering abates, lessens. And perhaps without thinking of any particular incident of suffering, can you find within yourself the aspiration that suffering comes to an end or that suffering lessens? Does something inside of you respond to the idea that it would be good if there was a lessening of suffering. May it be so. And very gently, see if you can let that side of your being, of your mind, come to the forefront, come alive. Simple, good feeling of aspiring for the end of suffering, the wish that suffering decreases. See if you can do it in a way that feels like a certain kind of well-being or some part of you that you appreciate and value that it's beautiful quality of wishing that suffering lessens. Maybe you can simply, very quietly in your mind, whisper the words, compassion. Or maybe compassion followed by, may it be so. May there be compassion, may there be the end of suffering, may it be so. 
in a way that opens you, relaxes you. And imagine that your, aspira- your aspiration of compassion is like a light beam <clears throat> or a warmth or a, that radiates from you. And see if you can direct it to the front of you in all areas to the front of your body in that direction. May all suffering in that direction as far as ends of the world, end of the cosmos. May it be that there's an end of suffering. Also, in addition, the warmth, the light spreads out in all directions to your right. Compassion, may it be so. Opening up to the right. Opening of the body, of the heart, of the mind. And then to the back, all beings, infinitely back and back, backward direction, end of the world, end of the galaxy. May it be so. May there be an end of suffering. And then to your left, imagine that you can open up the door of your heart to your left. Compassion, may it be so. And then 360 degrees around, radiating, visualizing, imagining that the warmth, the goodwill of compassion radiates. May it be so. It would be good to have a lessening of suffering. Seeing if you can appreciate or feel 
the goodness or the beauty of the simple desire, the simple aspiration. May it be so. Perhaps letting the thinking mind become quieter so you can feel your way into the heart more deeply. So there doesn't have to be any compassion, doesn't have to be directed to any person or being just a radiance of care, radiance of compassion, an aspiration of may there be a lessening of suffering. This would be good. And then as we come to the end of this sitting, I'd like to ask you to do a little reflection, a little thinking about something. And that is this reference point, this idea that there can be the aspiration of compassion without 
any specific person or being in mind. Compassion, which is a state of being, independent of being present for someone who's suffering. What lesson might there be for you? That you what lesson can you find in the idea that there can be compassion without an object, compassion without some person in mind? And then to end this sitting, you can take a few deep breaths, feel your body, and when you're ready, you can open your eyes. feel a little abrupt <clears throat> to do what I have in mind next, but maybe you'll move into it slowly or in a relaxed way, or just ride the waves of it being abrupt. But what I'd like you to do is to uh, turn to someone to talk to one other person and uh, just say something about, uh, debrief a little bit about what that meditation, what that meditation was like for you. What happened for you? What was that like? Uh, and what lesson might have you learned? Or, or how do you, how do you relate to this idea of, of compa- the aspiration of compassion that has no particular object, particular person in mind, just a state of being? Is that something you can relate to as the reference point inside of you? And, is there some lesson for you in that? Or what was it like to go through that? So I'm, we're not looking, this is not a test, I'm not looking for any particular right answer, just a chance, a little bit. I'd like you a little bit to follow up with just this meditation with some words to share, share with someone else so you hear yourself and process it a little bit. So hopefully that's okay. And we'll just take about 10 minutes for that. So if you'd be willing to, if, and you don't have to, if you want to just sit quietly um, while other people talk, that's okay as well. But. You can, those of you who want to talk can just turn to someone near you and have a little discussion. And I'll ring a bell um, <clears throat> after about five minutes so you know it's halfway through. But it doesn't have to be one person talking and the other one just listening. You can go back and forth. But as you talk, make sure that one of you doesn't just do most of the talking. 
to make sure it goes back and forth, but I'll, I'll, you'll get a halfway warning mark. So please. couple of minutes we'll go for lunch. But before we do, um, did any of you have any lessons from this that you'd like to share with me, with all of us really, but uh, you got to talk to each other just now and I just had to sit here and be cool. Any lessons? Uh, one of the questions, any lessons from this whole idea of this c- compassion, this kind of compassion, Karuna, that is an aspiration with not necessarily even having an object, but but just uh, any lessons for you that you want. That, that, anything you learn, anything you learn from all this. I found it. Um, it's uh, uh, compassion. It's the end of suffering. Absolutely. Actually, when you first mentioned it, that they kind of counterweighted, I have this problem that's going on, and it flipped the switch for me right then, and it went straight to compassion, and mm. it's uh, like anything. What do I have to worry about? Nice. Very nice. It's Mary. Mary. Well, for me, it it is a great relief to know that I am not a hard-hearted person if I'm not in an uproar along with everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just such a wonderful um, uh, release, you know, to, to broaden it out like that. And to know that it's not being self centered or selfish for me to develop that part of myself. Where I can be, I'm taking care of myself, s- developing that part of me, so that I I will be capable of of being kind or compassionate or helpful when the occasion arises. Right. So, how neat! Thank you so much. Wonderful, thank you. And uh, the image that I had of you as you spoke, but not of you, but an image that came up for me was. The little girl has scraped her knee on the playground, and all the people, all the adults, are running around like crazy. We have to do something. We have to call, and they're all running around. They don't even notice the girl anymore. They're just running around crazy. <laughs> but there is one person who's relaxed and at ease, and that person sees everyone running around and is not troubled. And and the girl and, the, and that and the girl sees. They see each other. The girl and this adult who's just. And the girl is so benefited from the person who's just at ease and oh, she feels safe, she feels taken care of, that she's not, doesn't, doesn't get from all the people who are anxious and running around and, oh, we've got to do something, there's a crisis. <laughs> that, that's what came, that came to my mind right. as you spoke. But, you know, in many situations you get labeled as, what's wrong with you, don't, don't you care? I mean, you can get really 
yes. defined in a whole different way because of your not being in an uproar like everybody else. That's right. You know? So yeah. you, there's a lot of ways that you have to protect yourself if you're going to do that. <laughs> yes, you have, to, you have to be wise and protective about yourself, yes. But one of the, way, one of the things that maybe more often than not, uh, it's okay not to care what people think about you. Let, let them define you as they do, you know, but you don't have to be. Thank you. I was uh, trying to figure this out um, in light of your question, and what you just said made me think of something. So the idea of compassion that has no object is a little kind of difficult for me to... Um, to get my mind around or get my heart around or, or some part of me around. Um, but I was wondering if it's almost as if there's sort of like radio waves emanating out, but they're not manifested until they hit an antenna. Mm, nice. And that's really the compassion. Nice. That's a great, great analogy. Is that, I like it. Because I can't, I can't, I had some feeling when in that meditation. I had some feeling in me, but I didn't know. I couldn't define it. Great. I think. I, I think. Yeah. Uh, keep exploring that and okay. developing that, and see where that goes. That's that sounds yeah. great to me. Okay. <laughs> so Hillary in front. This, this may not be pertinent to your question, but what came up um, when I was sharing in the pair is that um, there's. Uh, a way, I mean, with, when I think of Avalokiteshvara, you know, with a thousand arms and like just pulling out, you know, what you need, <laughs> this is what's needed. Um, and I think about the relationship I have with one of my daughters, you know, it's very <laughs> difficult um, when she gets very dysregulated. And my practice for so long was to just be equanimous in the face of it, in the face of her, what, you know, rage or whatever. And it took me probably six or eight years of practice before I realized that she was feeling that, uh, that I was aloof, that I did not care. And there's a very special way that we can attune to the people that are suffering without getting sucked in and dysregulated ourselves, but so that they feel that, they, that I am with you. I feel your pain. I feel your suffering. I'm here with you. Um, and you can help them to regulate and calm down. And I have not perfected this in, by any means. But I know that when I'm doing it, it feels it's got a totally different quality about it. And I stay very, I can stay equanimous, but I, I'm not aloof. I haven't separated myself. Great. Very important. Very important. So... This is so great. Uh, you know, you're talking about them doing research at Stanford. Uh, th- th- this is not something we learned at five or six. Maybe we did without anyone specifically saying it by seeing examples, but we didn't learn it together with our multiplication table. Uh, to say that I can understand the act and the feeling of active compassion, and I can understand, I think the sense of just meditating on compassion and I can divide those two and I can synthesize those two and I can educate myself around it is is really tremendous. And so for me this morning, that and also uh, a sense of well-being 
that um, I feel it viscerally, and uh, it's just a tremendous education. Great. Yeah, education and compassion. So, and this will be the last one. Uh, I feel that what this young lady here spoke about is central. Mm-hmm. And it's central because I feel that uh, that in this country, w- with everyone separated with their machines and uh, that the lack of expression of concern can appear to be uh, just withdrawal with no no engagement, no right. engagement of the heart, let's say. Right. Yeah. And, and it's critical. I agree. I feel that, and anyway, one thing I've been hoping for more of here is this kind of sense. Uh, it's almost an urgency. I don't want to make it an urgency, but but the need to to um, to bridge the gap to uh, be able to to maintain the equanimity, or and yet have that expression toward the person in need. Right. That's great. Yes, and, I agree. And there's so much of that right at the moment, of course, with yeah. the racial yeah. problems. Oh yes. So I think uh, some of this has to, again mindfulness is very helpful because if you if you develop your capacity to be mindful of yourself <clears throat> you'll feel the different you'll feel the discomfort of equanimity which is aloof which is separate not connected it just doesn't feel right there's a kind of attachment a clinging that goes on there and uh, <clears throat> and if you overcome that clinging that's that attachment to being separate um, then you're connected after that being connected is a kind of a natural state uh, if we don't do anything that messes it up. So what I imagined for Hillary was when the years when she was equanimous, she was holding it a little bit more like a stance. And, there were that, and so she learned to let go of that holding, holding apart. So the mindfulness, so, you get, so it's really important to be, it's really important, the mindfulness is so important to really understand what's going on. If we don't understand what's going on, it's really easy to override and with compassion to override what's happening or be idealistic or, or give up or all kinds of things. So the mindfulness to really have the real honest information of what's really going on here. See it, see it. That's really um, a, a huge protection for us. So, and what you're asking about also about a little bit will be the topic for the afternoon where some point in the afternoon we'll talk about Anukampa, the other side, which is the active side. Um, but, uh, so um, it's time for lunch, and uh, we could take an hour for lunch. So, uh, and so we'll start in here at 1.40. So it's 12.40 now, so at 1.40 we'll start in here. <laughs>